Today, we are continuing our series in letting go of anxiety. And before we dive right in, I I just want to share a little bit about my own life and my stage of life. Right now, we are in the phase of life that is raising young children. And if you have ever raised young kids, you know it is the most wonderful, joy-filled, happy, exhausting, relentless thing in the world. Like it just, their batteries are full when they wake up and they go 100% until they run out of juice. And then they sleep and then it's repeat. And and then they do that a couple of times a day. And it's just insane. But there is like, there's some some hope in the Krantz house. Our youngest, um, we have a four-year-old son and a two-year-old daughter. And our our youngest has decided that she is ready to only use the, the big girl potty. And so the Krantz household is transitioning out of diapers. And that is a wonderful thing. But that's just one thing that we're seeing lots of victories in. The other things that come with, with having young kids, toddlers especially, like they're just, they're trying to figure out how to do everything, right? They're, they're trying to figure out how to control their bodily functions. They're trying to figure out how to talk and use words. And, and if you know toddler speak, it is really close to, to normal adult talk, but it's not. And they make up their own words for a lot of things that are close and they sort of sound the same and you wonder... How'd you get that? But like, so at our house, um, one of the greatest places in the entire world, according to my children, is Chick-fil-A. And, and that may be true in some of your households as well, um, whether you have kids or not. And, and my kids absolutely love it. But it is not Chick-fil-A in their vocabulary. It is chicken leg. <laughs> it's close, but it's not like exactly on. So like, we have never said chick, chicken leg. It is always Chick-fil-A, but for them, it is chicken leg. And the way that my son learned to pronounce it, somehow that is what transferred to our daughter, right? Even though we never said that, she heard two examples of Chick-fil-A. She heard one of chicken leg, and it's chicken leg for her. And, and when we go to chicken leg, we have to order oot cups and french eyes and, and I kid you not, we get those as sides to chicken num nuts. <laughs> I apologize if chicken num nuts is offensive to you, and I would tell you do not come to Chick fil A with my family. Because if you are within earshot, there's a really good chance that you will hear one of our children scream for anyone to hear how badly they want chicken num nuts in the Chick fil A. It's just insane. And then you get to the table. And again, the toddlers, they're just trying to figure out how to do everything. And so they're trying to figure out how to talk. And then they're trying to figure out how to eat. And Shiloh is a straight up savage when it comes time to eat Chick-fil-A, right? She needs the entire table surface to get her work done. And she's dunking like everything in everything. And she's shoving it all in her mouth at the same time. And then she realizes that her mouth's full and dry. And so she takes a drink of water, and then she deposits half of what's in her mouth back into her water, and, and some of you are nauseated by that, but it gets worse because sometimes she grabs your drink instead of hers, and, and you find yourself with this cup that is supposed to be so good and refreshing and life-giving, right? That wonderful pellet like ice with the cool filtered water and it is supposed to be a good moment and then you take a closer look and you see chicken numb nuts floating around within <laughs> your cup and, and, and I promise this has something to do with the sermon it's not just a story 
right? There's this thing that is supposed to be life-giving and good, and, and yet at closer inspection, it is something that you want nothing to do with. And that really does have something to do with what we're going to talk about today, right? In this series, Letting Go of Anxiety, we've been talking about um, anxiety and the opposite of anxiety, which is peace. And we've been looking at a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. It's in our Bibles called the Book of Philippians. And he, he writes about a lot of different things to this church, but the last, it's sort of in, in his closing of the letter, he, he says these couple of verses that we've been taking a really good look at, if he, or Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. We're going to put that up on the screen if you don't have your Bible with you. He says, do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Right? And so what we've said is that Paul is recognizing that this battle against anxiety, this battle for peace in our hearts, it's, it's a mental battle. Right? We need God to transform how we process life. That word that he uses there for mind is is better translated, the way that you understand life, right? And so if we can have God change that, we can move from anxiety into peace. If we can change the things that we think about, we can change our anxious situation. And so he goes on in verse eight to give them things to think about. These are the things that their mind needs to be retrained to understand if they are to live without anxiety. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And so what we've been doing is every week we've been going through a different one of these words, and we've been asking, what does this say about God's character? Because that list in in verse 8 is really things that are true about God. Right? Those are some of the best qualities of his character. And so if we can learn to, to rethink our world through the lens of what is God's character and how do I bring God's character to bear on my circumstances, if we can learn to do that, we will find ourselves a lot less anxious and a lot more peaceful. And so this week, the word that we're looking at is pure. And pure is a, a word that can be loaded for some of us, right? When we think pure, we, we instantly think sexual purity because that's all we seem to talk about with young people. And, and Paul is for sure talking about that when he uses the word pure there, but that word that he uses, it means so much more than, than our intimacy with another human being. That word pure, it means morally perfect, without any flaw morally, right? And so obviously, sexual purity is a piece of that, but it encompasses everything. It encompasses thoughts, words, actions, motives, completely morally pure. And that's a good thing to think about. I think we can all agree with that, but, but actually when we start to think about pure, some of us have a little bit of a misconception, And it's a misconception about God or it's a misconception about us. And it really does come back to that cup of nasty water, right? It looks great on the outside. But that thing that is supposed to be life-giving 
good, excellent. When we take a little bit of a closer look, we peel back some layers, we say, "Mm, maybe not. And for some of us, we, we think that God is not really pure. We don't believe that God is pure in his character. Some of us, we think that we are so impure, there is no way that God could ever want anything to do with us. And both of those are very incorrect thinkings about purity. And if we let those incorrect thinkings run their course, we will find ourselves full of anxiety. Right, that first idea that God is not really pure. I think there's a bunch of us that would say, intellectually, we know that's false. Right, in my head, I can, I can say, no, God is good, I know that's right. Some of you can't. Some of you would say, no, I'm pretty skeptical of the guy. But even if you agree with it in, in principle, if we started to peel back some layers in your life, in your thought processes, we would see maybe you don't think that God is totally pure. Maybe God, when we look at who he is and what he says in a closer light, he's not really as great as he seems to be. And the biggest thing that I see with people in this is, is that they have a lot of religion in their life. And what I mean by that, if you've never been to our Next Steps class, this is not an ad, but it is. Um, the fourth week of every, of every month, we have a First Steps lunch um, in the fireplace room, and we aren't having it this month because that's Memorial Day weekend, and you will all, I don't know, you, you will all be at church, I'm sure. Um, and... <laughs> And then, so the fourth week of June, we're going to have First Steps lunch in the fireplace room. The next week, the first week of the month, we have Next Steps class. And that's where we talk through what, what does it mean to be a partner with City Church? What does it look like for you to grow with us? What is it that we hold most dear here? And we spend a good amount of time talking through the gospel and, and the difference that exists between religion and the gospel. Because what religion says is that I believe in God, and if I do everything that he wants me to do, he will love me and save me, right? And and so if you think about that, there's a lot of strings attached to that belief system. If I believe in God and do everything he says, then I'm saved. Right? That's different than what the gospel says. What the gospel says is, I believe, and so I'm saved, and I get to live a life that is free because I'm saved. Those are two totally different ways of looking at God. And the one, this idea that religion gives us that I, I, I believe and I have to do what God wants in order to be saved, that is a life full of anxiety, right? It's a life that creates fear because I am constantly worried that my performance is not enough. And God is just waiting to punish me for how wrong I have been, right? I live in worlds of guilt because I know all of the things that I've done wrong and God knows even more and he's got a list and he's keeping track and he's keeping score and and if I don't, 
do all the right stuff, I'm just going to be declared guilty. Or the things that I've done are, are just so bad, and, and he is so good, right? If he is pure, if he is holy, if that's true about him, I am not. And so I am so ashamed of who I am that, that I can't really ever approach him. And I can't ever know that I'm good. And so I live in fear of punishment or, or being declared not good. Right? A God that operates that way. Right? Believe and then do all the things that I want you to do. Let me define holiness for you so that you can perform and be holy like me so that you can get in. That, I don't know that that is a totally pure, good God. Because that seems like I'm never going to be good enough. And I don't ever really know if I'm in or out. But it's a completely different way to think about it from the standpoint of God says he loves you. And if you would believe, that's enough. A gift is offered. And because you have been given a new life in him, you now get to live in freedom of his holiness. Being like him is something that I want to do. Not because he gets anything out of it, right? Right, if he's not keeping score, there there is no exchange in the gospel in which my expense is God's gain. Right, it's the exact opposite. The good news costs God a whole lot in exchange for my benefit. And I tell you, if you doubt God's purity, if you're struggling with with whether or not God really is pure, try him out. Try him on it. Look at the teachings and commands of Jesus and say, okay, if, if I were to do that, who benefits in this situation? What does God get out of this? Spoiler alert, he doesn't need anything. Right? Nothing that he commands is for his benefit. Now, if I live out the teachings and the commands of Jesus, what I would find is a life free of deception, free of worrying about what I've said to whom, free of worrying what thing that I have done or how bad I am, I find myself being called to focus on loving everyone around me. That's not created by someone with bad intentions. God is pure. He is perfect. He is morally flawless. He is good. People are another story. Right? And so often, if we really push into that idea that maybe God is not pure, it's really not God that has done anything. It's someone who has done something maybe in his name. That leads us to the the other thing that we think poorly about. This idea that I know I as a person am impure. And so what could God ever want to do with me? 
I said, that, that is the logic of an anxious person. I know that my thoughts, my words, my actions, my motives, I know they're not perfect. And, and God just has to be furious about that. Or so-and-so has to be furious about that, whoever is the one that gets to decide whether your life is good or not. But here's the thing about people is that God, in his plan of working with people and having a relationship with people, he uses people. And those people are always imperfect. Right? If we look at the long story of God with people, if we go all the way back to the beginning of the founding of the nation of Israel, right? God approaches a guy named Abram, who would later be called Abraham, and he has a conversation with him. He goes, and it's, it's in Genesis 12. It's the first three verses, and, and it reads a little bit like this. After I take a drink. Um, the Lord had said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. I've probably heard that, that story 200 times before I noticed what that last little sentence says. What God is laying out at the very foundation of the nation of Israel is that the purpose of the nation of Israel is to see all peoples on earth blessed through them. Right? God's not picking a teacher's pet. He's not picking the favorite and saying, these are the ones that I like, everybody else is out. What he's saying is, I'm a holy, good, perfect, pure God. This world has no idea what that means. And instead of speaking from the heavens, I want to use people. I want to use a chosen people to model what my holiness looks like. I want you to live that out in front of them and the world will see just how good I am, how much better I am than anything anybody else has to offer. That's the story of God. He uses people to reach people and all of the people he uses are imperfect. Abraham would, would go on to found the nation of Israel and also have an illegitimate child from a concubine and throw God's plan totally into question. Right? He was ready to hand his wife over to Egyptian soldiers like so they could kill her. And he did, didn't care. Um, he was an idiot at moments. Right? You go on to Moses, who is as big as someone can get in the story of God using the people of Israel. And he's a murderer and someone with a horrible temper. You go to David, the greatest king that ever resided over the nation of Israel, and he's an adulterer and a murderer. Every person that God uses is an imperfect, impure person, but that person is still a part of God's perfect plan being moved forward to redeem all of creation back to himself. Right? Everyone is imperfect until Jesus. And we find ourselves with God's purity made flesh. 
right? And he would live as the perfect example. And in his life, death, and resurrection, he showed us what purity looked like lived out, right? Not purity in one facet of his life, purity in everything. In his life, he cast a vision for a kingdom that looked and operated like no other kingdom the world had ever known. There's a kingdom centered around purity, goodness, justice. In his death, he took on our impurity. He took on every impurity so that a different life might be, might be possible through the resurrection. And in his resurrection, he initiated a new creation. And he has empowered us through his spirit to live a life that is different than what our impurities and imperfections would tell us are so. The Apostle Paul would write another letter to a church in the city of Corinth. And we have a couple of them that are recorded in the second one in the, in the fifth chapter. This is how he describes what sort of happened with Jesus. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I don't know if you caught that. There's a little bit of similar language that he's using between Genesis 12 and 2 Corinthians 5. Right? He's saying that God has imparted his righteousness onto you. Right? All his good stuff. He gave it to us. He took all of our bad stuff. So that when God looks at us, he no longer sees impurity, imperfection, but he sees Jesus' perfection. Right? And we are new creations. And so the things that used to define us, those thoughts that we know of how broken we are, those thoughts that would disqualify us from God wanting to use us or be in relationship with us, those are no longer our identity. And he has created us as new people so that he can use us as people to reach the world. And he says this message of reconciliation has been given to us. Right? It's not just that, that a ticket to heaven has been stamped and we're in. It's not just that you were imperfect, you were impure, and now you're good. It is that you are now God's instrument to tell the world about him. I want to use people to reach people. You are my ambassador, 
right? You speak on behalf of God to the world in this work of redeeming the entire world. The pure became impure so that the impure could be made new and raised to a new life in which we join God in redeeming all of creation. That is good news. That is really, really good news. The truth today, the opposite of of our wrong thoughts, the truth is that God is pure and he is perfect. And he is using imperfect, impure people like you and me to redeem all of creation back to himself. That's a very different reality than is God good or not? I don't know. Am I usable? Am I good? I've got, I've got a lot of stuff. No, the truth about who God is is that he is good. There's no selfish agenda. There, there's no... There's no unbelievable, unfair cost to you at his gain. It is an unbelievable, unfair cost to him at your gain because he is good. And he has redefined you as a new creation through Jesus that he wants to use to bring heaven here. That is a much better thought to fill our heads than living in question, than living in uncertainty. Where do I stand? What does he think about me? What does she think about me? If we could fill our minds with that truth and bring it to bear on our circumstances, we would be less anxious people. If we knew God is good, he is pure, His commands, his teachings, they are for my benefit. They're right because he's right. And he does not see me by my mistakes. He does not see me by my imperfections. He sees me as an ambassador to the world. And he wants me to be a part of bringing heaven here. If we can orient our minds around that truth, our thoughts would be much more peaceful. If we could orient our lives around that mission, this world would look very, very different. That is good news. God has made us new creations so that we might be a part of redeeming all of creation back to him. What would it look like for you to believe that in your circumstances this week? Right? Again, moving from, I know that intellectually, I know that's true. What decision do you have in your life this week that if you really knew God's ways, his character, his heart, his teachings are true and they are good, would be easier to make? Right? If he is the only one that is good and pure, I need to honor him over anyone else, what does that look like? 
And if that changes how someone views me, well, I need to remember that I am a new creation. And how they see me doesn't matter. Because anything I might do will never be enough for that person. Right? I can't earn my way to perfection with anyone. But what God has said is that despite my imperfections, he has given me his perfection. And so if I am conforming my life to be like his holiness, his purity, I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to be anxious. I can find peace in that I am honoring the only one who is actually good. And his opinion of me is not swayed by public opinion. Our world would be a different place if we were people who truly knew the goodness of God. Our world would be a different place if we oriented our lives around the mission of God and allowed everything else to become secondary. That's what peace is. It is bringing God's character to bear on your circumstances and letting that define how we interpret those circumstances. That is where we find peace. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for being pure. Thank you for being good. Thank you for being without any imperfection. Lord, thank you that you have invited us to be new creations. Right? And not just for the sake of being new, but that we might be a part of your plan. Yeah, the fact that you would use very imperfect, impure people like us to redeem this world is crazy to me. But I trust your word that it's true. Lord, I pray that you would empower us to be a people who live that truth, who know it in our minds and hearts, and let this world know that same truth. Lord, may your kingdom come here like it is in heaven, in our lives, in our city, in our world. Would you do that in and through us? We love you.